Let's take our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter number 18. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas with your family. I know I did. I enjoyed time. It's always a joy when all of my children, when both Josh and Anna, and we can all be together. That's what's special to me. But uh, then on top of that, um, it's nice having grown children that are gainfully employed. Because I got some pretty nice stuff. I don't know about you, but uh, it's like, wow. And, and uh, yeah, it is better to give than to receive, but receiving's not so bad either. You know, giving, receiving. So anyhow, it was good, and um, I'm thankful that my son made it uh, to Asheville home safely Christmas evening. Uh, they had about five inches of snow on top of freezing rain, and he just last, this past November purchased a house up on a mountain, and he's got this big, long, steep driveway, and um, his um, his car wasn't able to make it up there, and so he had to walk and carry a bunch of stuff, and I don't know how long his driveway is, I, I think probably a quarter mile is a little bit a stretch, but it's, it's pretty long, and so fortunately for Christmas, um, he got a bunch of merino wool gloves and hats and all of that good stuff. So uh, anyhow, he was uh, at least warm and dry while he's uh, making that trek up his driveway in the snow. But we're just glad that he made it home safely. We we're a little bit uh, concerned about him, but uh, I'm glad that my son's got a good head on his shoulders. Well, we are in a part number four of Edge Pieces of Dispensational Salvation. And part number four, we're focusing on the tribulation and the millennium. And we've already uh, taken a look at lesson number one, which is the certainties of the tribulation. And we basically just focused on the things that we know for certain. And as a reminder, when you're studying the Bible for yourself, if you come across a passage that you don't fully know where this piece of the puzzle fits in and how it fits in, always focus on the edge pieces, the ones that that we know for certain. And sometimes... And, and I think you're going to see in today's study that a lot of times we lose sight of the things that are most important because we think that we have to know everything about it. And what happens is we get wrapped up in what we don't know about what we're reading instead of just focusing and applying and enjoying the things that we do understand. And remember, Bible knowledge is a building block process, line upon line, precept upon precept, and then, of course, the Lord repeats that in the book of Isaiah. And so always remember that. And so lesson number two, part one, we're, we're really dividing this up because there's so much material, but lesson two is the catastrophes of the tribulation, and today will be part one because there's just no way that I can deal with all of this in one sermon. So let's read our text, Revelation 8, and look with me at verse number 13. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, watch this, three times this angel says, woe, woe, woe. I remember when I was a little boy, there was a kind of a mild controversy in the church that I was attending. Uh, we, had a, um, we had an adult Sunday school teacher that really, to be quite honest with you, from what I perceived and hearing my parents talk, that uh, this was a guy who got the position because he'd been in the church for a long time, but he didn't get the position of Sunday school teacher because he was really good at knowing and understanding the Bible. And so um, he, uh, I remember we, we were talking about it, and he said that when, when you see that word, woe, it's like when you're riding a horse, it means stop right now. But obviously, that's not what woe means. Woe, 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 that's a heavy warning. That means you better pay attention because something bad is getting ready to happen. And this angel repeats this woe three times, and then he says, to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. We're going to be seeing a lot of these things, that this is basically the end of one of these trumpets, 
And at the end of these trumpet plagues, you can have three angels show up, and this is the be- this is the first of those three angels. And folks, we're going to see here in the scripture that when the bad things of the tribulation period start happening, and the inhabitants of the earth say, "Oh, this is horrible; it can't get any worse," and then it gets worse, and then they think, "Well, it can't get any worse now," and it gets worse. And then they say that again, and they keep going again and again and again until they realize that even after about doing that ten times, they still haven't seen the worst of it. It's going to be really, really bad. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now to bless this time together. Lord, so much information, so many scriptures that we need to look at. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would help our service, bless our listeners, give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding heart, and above all, may you speak to us and help us, Father, to to respond as we ought to. Maybe we just need a burden for souls. Maybe we need to get our lives straightened out before the rapture takes place. Maybe uh, we've got some loved ones that we need to get serious about winning them to Christ so they don't have to go through the things that we're going to see here in your word. Whatever the case is, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to us and help us, and God, get that you would get glory and honor from all that's said and done today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I also wanted to, before we start here, I'd like to say it's so good to see the Campbells with us today, and uh, what a joy, and Uh, With their health situation, they haven't been able to come as much as they'd like, and it's really a joy to see you, uh, brother and sister Campbell. Well, we just saw here that there is some really bad things coming to the inhabitants of the earth. Today's message will not specifically be a Bible study, uh, but rather a sermon. And the reason that I categorize it that way is because uh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna show you some select verses. But in much of today's message, I'm going to be telling you what the Bible says rather than taking the time to show you what the Bible says. And the reason being is because it would take literally just part one would take probably three hours if we ran all of the references and read all of the scripture. But I will say this, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 16, I encourage you to Read it for yourself and see if what I'm telling you is the truth or not. Don't take the preacher's word for it. Always, always check out what's being preached by what the Word of God says. And so in many cases, I'm going to be kind of condensing and telling you what's going to be happening, but not necessarily proving it to you from the Bible. So why is tribulation salvation so important If, like we saw in previous weeks, the certainties of the tribulation period, we know that as Christians, that the church is going to be raptured out of here. That's the blessed hope. God has delivered us from the wrath to come. So if we're not going to be here, why is tribulation salvation so important? Well, I thought about this. And I thought about how much that the Word of God says about salvation for those in the future. And you know, the Bible says a lot. And, and relatively speaking, there is a lot in the entire, in the Old Testament prophecies. Realistically, we could say that the Scripture has more to say about tribulation salvation than it does our salvation. And so I think it's a very important topic, but I think that there's also a truth as we get down toward the end of this dispensational period, when I believe that the rapture could take place any moment, if the rapture were to take place in 2021, I want you to think about it just a minute. How many people do you and I know that will be left behind? I think that we can honestly, if we would be sincere and objective, I think there's another thing that we need to understand from the Word of God. 
And that is that many so-called Christians have never truly been saved. I wonder, I wonder if maybe if this message, it's spoken to this congregation, good crowd here this morning, by the way, but perhaps maybe if this message goes out over live stream and it gets out there to more people over the world wide web, and let's say that people see what's going to happen from the word of God and they think that they're okay because they believe or they're part of a church or they're a good person and they think I'm okay and then the rapture takes place and they get left behind. You know, it's possible, it is possible that more people could get saved because of us preaching and warning them about something that's going to take place in the future than people that are getting saved right here and right now in this day and age. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but people just aren't running down the aisle and confessing their sins and asking Jesus Christ to save them. And and in many churches, when they do have some of that going on, the honest fact of the matter is, is that many, if not most of them, are being emotionally manipulated to make a decision. And I think that that's sad, because if we respond emotionally to a message, but we don't respond in true faith, then that deceives people. And they think of their salvation as an event that happened, maybe at a church altar, maybe at a crusade, maybe just a prayer that they prayed. Well, I went forward and I got saved at Vacation Bible School. And they think of it as a magical prayer that they prayed and they never truly experienced the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you can go through your life thinking, I'm okay, I'm okay, even though down deep you know that something's missing. I've never been saved. And that voice is just continually saying, you're not saved, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. And you shake it off thinking, oh, if I get saved now, what will people think? I will be embarrassed, it'll be confusing, and what will my parents think? What will my pastor think? Hey, I've got news for you. If you're not saved, then people that are truly born again, most of them will probably go, yeah, yeah, I was concerned about that. You know, when you've experienced the light, you recognize it when that something is missing from people that think they're okay, that say they're okay, but you don't find any real fruit or evidence that Jesus Christ means that much to them. I know one thing, if Jesus means that much to a person, uh, it's going to change the way a person lives. It's going to change the way a person thinks. And so there is a very real possibility that somebody will be listening to the message on tribulation salvation that, listen, you can't respond to it today, but you might can respond to it three months from now after the trumpet sounds. Now that's not the kind of, uh, the, the kind of results that we're looking for here today. But I tell you what, I would rather get people rescued from hell and rescued from their sins and in heaven, even if they have to go through some horrible things. That's why I don't get too worked up over all of the arguing and fussing over, well, is it three and a half years? Is it seven years? Are we going, are, are we going to get raptured before any of it happens? Are we going to get, raptured midway through it? Are are we going to go through the tribulation? Hey, I believe, I believe that I've got a handle on this, at least the, 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 the nuts and bolts from the scripture. But if perchance we miss the boat, you say, preacher, we're not supposed to think like that. If you miss the boat, wouldn't you at least like to know what to do? Wouldn't you at least like to know how to warn your lost relatives? Hey, if you miss the rapture, Uncle Fred, make sure that you don't take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. Even if it means getting your head chopped off. Because the suffering that's going to happen on planet Earth 
is going to have a time period, but the suffering of eternity is eternity. That sounded real profound, I understand, but I hope you understand seven years or three and a half years compared to a lake of fire, hell, if you will, there's not even a remote comparison. In Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, you're looking at a man, I got I got saved as a five-year-old boy. I didn't live my Christianity until I got right with God as a 19-year-old young man. Now, I say that from five years old to my sophomore year in high school, I, I, I was a good boy. I, I you know, I, I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, I was a sinner and there was stuff that I did that I knew was wrong. But I really didn't go the way of the world until my sophomore year in high school. And when I hit the world as a sophomore, I hit the world running. And I loved the world. And even though I was under conviction, even though God was chastising me, I kept resisting and I, you know, I resisted God, but I loved the world. And so for about four years of my life, I lived pretty wickedly. But God kept convicting me and he kept working in my heart and life. And it seemed like My plans to sin kept getting thwarted, and it just seemed like there was an invisible hand that would put up a roadblock here and put up a roadblock here or put me in a situation where I would be confronted by the Holy Spirit, where something would be drawing me to the right direction and away from the wrong direction. That was just, it was supernatural, and I knew it, and I recognized it. You know what that was? That was that invisible hand of God trying to uh, to do what the Apostle Paul says, being confident that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. I got right with God at 19 years of age. And when I did that, I got in with both feet, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, for I was sold out to God and the path and direction of my life totally changed. Now, I haven't been perfect since then. But that invisible hand is not just something that's just vaguely there. It's more of a part of my life than it ever has been. And when I do sin, I can tell it grieves the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. It's not just a little bit of a twinge on my conscience. I feel horrible and I feel miserable. And the only time that I feel happy and have joy is when my heart is right with the Lord. Now, that's my personal testimony, but you know, the Bible teaches this, and other Christians can testify that the same thing is true in your life as well. It's the, it's God doing everything that He can possibly do to perfect that good work which He began in us. And that is the promise of the Word of God. There are so many people that claim to be saved, that have absolutely no idea how Philippians 1.6 applies to them. They don't see that. They're they're trying to duck and hide from God, just trying to avoid God, and go to a church where they don't have to experience any conviction, where they just hear what they want to hear, or have an entertainment, enjoy the music, and say, whoa, that's pretty cool. They talked about God and stuff. How many times have I talked to teenagers to go to, go to these contemporary churches and say, well, what, you know, how was your church service? Oh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, they just talk about God and stuff. And they have no idea about what the Bible says. They're not warned about their sin. They're just entertained with the world and just attach a few religious phrases, Jesus, God, and stuff. And they feel like that everything's fine because they enjoyed it. It's cool. It's neat. I got news for you. That is not Bible Christianity. So why are you always harping on that preacher? Because it's poisoning a generation. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, is Satan is using that tool more than all of the wicked, you know, dark stuff out there. Satan is an angel of light and he is 
bringing more souls into hell by counterfeit religion than he's doing with the dark alley stuff. I mean, hands down. So yeah, we ought to be hard on that stuff because it is very deceptive and it's damning souls to hell. Hey, Romans 8.13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You know what this tells me? This tells me that there is not near as many backslidden Christians as we think. It's true, folks. And I'm, I'm not saying this with anger in my heart. I'm saying this with care and concern and compassion. There are too many people that they think that they're backslidden and they've never slid forward. They think, well, yeah, I, I could be doing better. But they are professors and not possessors. They have a profession but not a conversion. And you know what? I, I, you heard my testimony. I spent a year after I got right with the Lord struggling with the assurance of my salvation. And we, we had, the, my pastor had some uh, evangelists in from time to time that would be in the retreader category. I mean, they're trying to get saved people saved again. And I'm not into retreading. I'm not into emotional manipulation. But I do know from the Word of God, there are many people that think that they're saved and they live 10, 20, 30, 40. They live their whole life living sinful, thinking that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. And how many funerals have I been to where they talk about the person being in heaven and everybody who knew them knew that they they were just very, very wicked and sinful. And you scratch your head and you think, something just doesn't add up. I understand what I'm preaching here this morning goes completely contrary to good old boy religion. But I'm not interested in good old boy religion. I'm interested in Bible salvation. Because that's the only salvation that is true salvation. And only true salvation will keep a person out of a devil's hell. And so there are many so-called Christians who have never truly been saved. Not only that, but in the Jewish epistles, this doctrine is declared with even greater severity. And I hope that I can actually get to my message here today. But this is so important that we understand the application of the tribulation period. I'm not even remotely interested in giving you a bunch of prophetic truths so that you can go... Oh, wow, that's interesting. I'm not interested in being interesting. I'm interested in giving you something that's going to help you and change you because that's what we're here for, folks. So in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 10, Peter says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. You ought to just watch the news and see how this is going on out in our nation today. And then skip down to verse number 13. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Listen, folks, these aren't people that live in the back alley. These are people that are among, these are church members that are among God's people. They're feasting with you. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, And heart have they exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Then Peter goes on to talk about a lot of different things. But then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 17, he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You know why Peter's saying this? 
because there were people that were getting a hold of Paul's doctrine. And by the way, Paul is Paul makes it clear that a true believer is eternally secure. We're saved by grace, not by works. Listen, we don't we can't save ourselves, we can't keep ourselves saved. It is God that does it. And there were some Jewish believers that were doing what many people think today, well, if I'm saved and I can't lose it, then I can just live however I want. And Peter says, you better be careful that you don't fall from your own steadfastness, because if that's what's in your heart, then you probably didn't get the real deal. You know, we've been talking about all the controversy about what we don't understand in the Bible, as opposed to what we're really supposed to understand. You ever thought about James 2? And verse number 19, this is a very controversial passage. You know, the Arminians are on one side of it, the Calvinists are on another. People argue about what it means. I I can't tell you how many um, discussions I've had with Mormons out west over James 2.19. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I understand the doctrinal implications of James chapter number 2, but I also understand the practical and the spiritual application is that James is saying that you can't just say, I believe something and it have no effect in your life and think that you're okay. Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. James is saying the devils believe too. They're trembling. Listen, if you have, if you truly have faith, then it's going to put some works in you. It's going to, it's going to make some fruit in your life. There's going to be some evidences that are supernatural, that you know that something inside of you, there's a spiritual motivation that you couldn't do on your own. Faith without works is dead. Listen, there's a practical application that the body of Christ, the church, needs today. And so the Jewish epistles really add some severity to this truth. And so now let's get the remainder of our time together. Let's start talking about the catastrophes of the tribulation. The book of Revelation is not all in chronological order. And that's where a lot of people get confused and messed up doctrinally. The catastrophes are basically poured out in three different sets of judgments. You have seals, you have trumpets, and you have signs. The seven-year tribulation period is divided into two three-and-a-half-year periods. All of it's called the tribulation period, but the last three-and-a-half is called great tribulation. And that is the time when the majority of the prophesied wrath and catastrophe is going to take place on planet earth. I'm not exactly confident that I have identified exactly where all of these judgments fall. So as always, we're going to focus on what we know. I'm not going to worry about exactly when all of these are going to happen. I'm just going to present to you that they are going to happen. We know it's going to be terrible because Jesus warned the Jewish people in Matthew 24 and verse number 21. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, that's pretty strong language, wouldn't you agree? It's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. And he says, Except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, these days shall be shortened. In upcoming lessons, I may, uh, I may give you some uh, ideas from the Scripture what the Lord means by these days being shortened. I think there's uh, plausibly two or three different passages of Scripture that shed some light on this. But the bottom line is if they weren't shortened, Jesus said, even the elect wouldn't even make it through this three-and-a-half-year period of time, or seven years, however you look at it. 
And so let's take a look first of all at the seven seals. If you want to turn in Revelation chapter 6, or you can follow along on the screen, whichever works best for you. Revelation 6.1 through Revelation 8.5, you have seven different seals that are open. And after each one of these seals are opened, a catastrophe uh, ensues. In uh, seal number one, we find that a white horse shows up. And on that white horse is a man who um, has a bow and he has conquering power. He's riding throughout the earth. And I believe that this is representative of the Antichrist. And certainly, and, and this is controversial, I understand. But this bowman, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the sign of a bowman, a bowman draws that bow with these two fingers. And I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever seen this sign. You know, the hippies do, peace dude. But with this finger just slightly curved, have you ever seen that peace sign? I've seen it. I've seen it at the Vatican. And I think it's interesting, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of controversy and get off track here, but I believe that this bowman riding this white horse in Revelation 6 is certainly has some kind of a connection to that. And then the second seal, you have a red horse that shows up that represents war and peace is taken away from the earth by that horse and its rider. The third seal, you have a black horse which represents famine and the economy and this black horse has a balance and I believe that certainly the uh, the entire world economy is going to collapse and uh, no doubt there's going to be crop failure and people are going to be hungry. Hey, listen, during this time period, you're not going to be worrying about getting toilet paper. You're just going to be worrying about getting something that you can eat to put in your belly. I, I guarantee you there's probably, possibly nobody listening to me today or in the future that truly, genuinely understands this kind of famine hunger. I don't. I mean, I can remember times my dad was a truck driver and then he surrendered to be a preacher and he preached in a little town in Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. At that time, I think the population was 200. And there was, I mean, there was no county population either. And so he pastored in this little town and uh, we had, we lived in a parsonage right next to the house, uh, the, the church that was not much bigger than this platform. And I can remember times when I'd be hungry and I'd go to the cupboard and I'd say, hey, mom, what can I eat? And you'd look, there just wasn't that much. Now, I had a good mom and she would figure something out and we never went hungry. Now, we didn't always get what we wanted. I can remember times, you ever have those times when you just crave something sweet and you want an Oreo cookie? We didn't. We didn't have Oreo cookies. So mom would make bread pudding. You go to fancy restaurants and they have bread pudding on the menu. And I go, <laughs> bread pudding? I wanted a Snickers. Or, 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 or she'd, take, and, and we'd, she'd make some toast. And they'd put that toast in a, a bowl and sprinkle some sugar on it and pour milk in it. Now, now that's pretty good. But back then, as a kid, that wasn't what we wanted. But you know, the point of it is, is we had some, we had some times that were hard times for us, where we just didn't have much to eat, and we didn't have what we wanted to eat, but we never went hungry. My dad worked hard, and he did the best that he could, and we were fine. And, and my entire family, we could have used a little bit of famine growing up. I don't know what this would be like, folks, but I think that this past year, I think that we can all recognize that there are things that are completely out of our control that can and will happen on planet Earth. 
And I think we need to recognize that. But this, this uh, third seal, this black horse, is going to bring famine. And after that, you've got the pale horse rider that's going to bring pestilence and death. And look what Revelation 6, verse number 8 says about it. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed him. Now, I don't understand what that means, how hell is going to follow him. I can't vision that in my mind. I've seen caricatures. I've seen cartoons of that. You know, here's a, here's a, a you know, death with the sickle riding on the horse. And then behind him is, you know, a little ball of fire. That I don't think it's going to look like that. So I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. But wouldn't you agree that if death is riding around and hell's following him, this, this ain't good. I don't know exactly what it means. I just know that this cannot be a good thing. And it says, and, and, um, and hell followed him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Not a good thing. This is going to be bad. But like I've already said, folks, we ain't seen nothing yet. The fifth seal shows up when John sees the martyrs that were slain for the word of God. In verse number 9 of Revelation 6, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Folks, the majority of the people that are saved in the tribulation period, this is going to be uh, the end of their life. They are going to be martyred and killed for the Word of God. We just, our suffering today is, well, we get people that don't like us. Neighbors that are irritated by us. We get people every now and then as we're holding gospel signs that drive by and they you know, they give us a sign or, or they say something. Usually they say something stupid. Y'all are going to hell. Somebody yelled that just a few weeks ago. It's like, for telling people about Jesus, God's going to put us in hell. That doesn't make sense. But they're saying something. Why? Because when they see that we are representing God or Christ or Christianity in some way, they hate you. And they can't just keep their mouth shut. But you know what? That doesn't happen very often. We get a whole lot more thumbs up, horns honked. Hey, we appreciate what you're doing. We get way more encouragement than we get resistance. But in the tribulation period, it is not going to be, it's not going to be words. It's not going to be symbols. It's going to be torture and it's going to be murder. And they're going to lose their life for the Word of God and for their testimony. In Revelation 7, verses 13 through 17, these martyrs are described as those that came out of great tribulation and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Hey, that's a great preaching text, washing your garments in the blood of the Lamb. I am all for the blood of the Lamb. But technically speaking, Revelation 17 isn't talking about our salvation it's talking about the salvation of people in the tribulation period. Now, I've heard preacher upon preacher uh, make this statement that no one gets saved out of the tribulation period. I'm sorry, I don't see that in the Word of God. I see that there are people that get saved in the tribulation period, besides the 144,000 Jews. But it ain't going to be very easy. It's going to be tough. And I will say this, if you won't get saved now when it's easy, or maybe I should say simple, um, most people, by the time the tribulation period comes, their heart's going to be so hard that there's not going to be a whole lot of hope. The sixth seal shows up, and we've got disasters and physical changes on the earth, earthquakes, the sun's going to be blackened, the moon's going to become blood. The stars are going to fall. And the Bible says here that the heaven will depart as a scroll and the mountains and the islands will be moved out of place. And the hearts of men will even be further hardened. 
when all of these catastrophes take place. Revelation 6, verse number 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Now, are, are, they, are they trying to hide from the earthquake? Are they trying to hide from the fire? Are they trying to hide from the disaster? No. Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You know what they're doing? God is judging them, and instead of coming running to God, they're trying to hide from God. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Hearts that just get harder and harder and harder. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why God revealed all of the details of Pharaoh and Egypt and the children of Israel being brought out and all of the plagues that God plagued Pharaoh with. And that you ever read that and scratch your head and go, are you stupid? Did you ever think Pharaoh? I mean, I can, I can understand after maybe two or three, when whatever Moses said is exactly what happens, two or three, I can put myself in Pharaoh's shoes and think, oh, that's a coincidence. And, you know, I've got my magicians that are playing tricks and they're imitating that. It's in a little way, but at least I can see, well, they're, they're little magicians and Moses is just a bigger magician. But after about four and five and six, you would think he's got to be smart enough to recognize that, hey, we're in trouble. I better get right with God. But all he does is he plays the same head games with God that the average person in America today does. Just trying to manipulate, okay, I wanted to go just far enough so that God doesn't rain down a plague on me, but I don't really want to get on God's side. And that's what's in human hearts today. I want to figure out how I can get by with what I want to do, but not get God mad at me. Doesn't make sense. It's foolish. But folks, that is the human heart. When we reject God, our heart gets harder. When we reject Him again, it gets even harder until the more we reject Him, that heart gets so hard that we can't even recognize how simple it would be to just turn to God because He is ready and waiting to forgive. Yes, He gets mad. Yes, His wrath is being poured out, but I promise you from the Word of God that if anyone, no matter how wicked and how foolish we've been, when our heart says, hey God, I'm sorry. Remember the thief on the cross? I mean, he had moments left in his life and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus didn't say, you had your chance, buddy. Oh, yeah, wait till the last minute, huh? Jesus didn't say that. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That is how willing and ready that God is to forgive if man will just simply turn from our wickedness and turn toward God. And then the seventh seal. The seventh seal... Folks, it's interesting to me because the world wouldn't see this as that big of a deal. But the seventh seal, when it's opened up, the Bible says that there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Uh, about a half hour doesn't seem like that long. But you know what? This will be the most eerie half hour that anyone can imagine. Have you ever have you ever been at a time when like all of a sudden everything is just deathly silent and, and you don't know why? I've had times when you just recognize, whoa, that's silent. And and I've had times where fear actually gripped my heart and I didn't even know or understand why. Folks, this will be that eerie of a silence. It'll be silent in heaven. It'll be I believe it'll be silent here on this earth. 
for about 30 minutes. That doesn't seem very long, but I'll tell you what, that's going to seem like an eternity because it's going to be so intense. (laughs) Just the other day, I was trying to fix something for my wife and I discovered epoxy resin. Resin, did I say that right? You mix up these two different components and you stir it together and it, it glues stuff together with a chemical reaction. And I've got this stuff that's called five-minute epoxy, meaning it sets up in five minutes. Well, I'm gluing something that it was too fragile. You couldn't clamp it together and hold it. The only way to hold these two pieces together was to hold it together with your fingers. Not touching the epoxy, mind you. By the way, is super glue good for anything except for skin? Have you ever successfully used super glue on anything but skin? Raise your hand if, testify, three people. It's only for, anyhow, epoxy. I'm holding this, these parts together with the five minute epoxy and I got my, my, my watch out and I put it on the, the, the timer thing and so I'm holding it together. I got to three minutes and my fingers are like cramping up and hurting. You think, well, that's not that long. Five minutes seemed like five hours when you can't move and you just have to just stay stationary like that. I thought, wow, that really revealed to me how time goes by so slowly when we're uncomfortable. Folks, this is going to be so uncomfortable. That 30 minutes is going to be intense. And then this seventh seal also will usher in the next set of judgments that are referred to as the seven trumpets. And so for the remaining time, let's talk about some of these trumpets. We won't have time to get through all of them, but let's get as far as we can. Revelation 8, 7 through eleven nineteen are these trumpet judgments. The first trumpet, when it sounds, you've got hail and fire mingled with blood. You've got a third part of the trees that are burned up and all the green grass. That's why I've said for, I've said for years, environmentalists, tree huggers, don't worry. God's going to save plenty of trees to burn up for himself. We're not, man's not going to destroy them all. God's going to save some for himself. A third part of the trees are burned up. Have you ever flown over Canada or Alaska? If you ever have, you look, and, and when they talk about a shortage of trees and lumber, listen, that's because they're flying around Los Angeles or, or the Sahara Desert. Oh no, all the trees are gone. Look, you fly over Canada... And so, you know, some parts out west and Alaska, and you, there is so many trees, it's just unbelievable. A third of them are going to be burned up all at the same time. That's pretty bad. That's a lot of heat. That's a lot of smoke. That's a lot of trees that produce oxygen that are going to be taken out of the environment. And then the second trumpet is going to sound And it says a great burning mountain is cast into the sea. Some people suppose that this is going to be a great burning meteor, like a mountain that comes out of the sky. I don't know if it's going to be a meteor. I just know that it's going to be like a burning mountain. It's cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea becomes blood. Now, when the Scripture says it becomes blood, I'm going to be very honest with you, very transparent. I don't know if this just means that it turns red or if it literally becomes like human blood. I'm a Bible literalist, but I also know there are times when the the word blood is used to describe something that turns blood red. So I don't know. You you believe whatever you want. I think that either way, this is not going to be a good thing. Amen? So you have here that the, the sea is turned to, becomes blood, a third part of it. A third part of the marine life is destroyed. So whatever happens to that red, that blood in the sea, it's killing a third part of everything that's in it. 
as well as a third of all of the ocean vessels. So every ship, every vessel that's on the seas, at the same time, all of them are going to be destroyed. This is bad news, folks. The third trumpet is a burning star that's falling to the earth called Wormwood. And it doesn't fall on the oceans and the seas. It falls upon the rivers and the fountains. And it causes a third of all the fresh water to become wormwood. What's wormwood? Well, it means that it becomes bitter. It becomes poisonous. And many men, the Bible says, die from the water. You know, I, I, I don't like being hungry. But I can go quite a few days without eating, obviously. But what's worse than being hungry is to be really, really thirsty and not be able to get any water to drink. That has to be one of the worst things. And a third of the people, the inhabitants of the earth, will try to drink this bitter water and they'll end up dying because of the poisonous waters. The fourth trumpet sounds... And a third part of the sun, moon, and stars are smitten. Now, this looks to me like approximately four hours of total darkness in the daytime and four hours of total darkness at nighttime. That's, um, that's pretty serious, folks. That's scary. That's eerie. And all of this is just one thing after another, after another, after another. As we read in our opening text, at this point, after the fourth trumpet, is when the angel flies in Revelation 8.13 and says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And uh, goes on to say that, hey, it's getting ready to get really bad. Has it ever dawned on you? I don't want my loved ones to go to hell. But hell is a place that I've never seen. I can't comprehend hell. I know it's in the heart of the earth because I believe the Word of God. But you know what? I, I, I can see. I know people. I can see what's going on here on the surface of this earth. And these disasters and these things, we've seen just little sneak peeks here and there. I guarantee you, people in... New Orleans and people in California and people that have suffered tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and all of these natural disasters, they know that uh, their life, their world can be rocked in a major way in a 24-hour period of time. There are no doubt thousands and thousands of people in America that still are recovering and rebuilding from the natural disasters that have taken place in the last several years. This earth is travailing in pain, and we're seeing more fires and earthquakes and hurricanes. And it, where it used to be something that was newsworthy. Now you just read about it and you go, oh, another one. It really doesn't even, doesn't even strike our attention because it's so prominent in today's world that we live in. Then this fifth trumpet sounds, and a star. Uh, folks, this is where it gets ugly. You talk about science fiction. You talk about all of these movies where they show, you know, Martians and aliens and creatures and dragons. Folks, Hollywood can't even come up with something that the Word of God talks about. This fifth trumpet sounds a star or an angel falls to the earth with a key to the bottomless pit. He opens it and out comes heat and smoke and further darkness. Then out comes these terrible creatures that are like a giant cross between a locust and a scorpion. As they fly about the earth, they are forbidden to cause any further natural disasters but only to sting those who do not have God's seal in their foreheads. Their sting will be like the sting of a scorpion. If you look that up, the average scorpion sting is about the same as an average wasp sting. There are some scorpions that are worse. 
just like there are some breeds of wasps that sting worse. But the average scorpion is about like an average wasp sting. I don't like being stung by a wasp. We used to have honeybees all over the place when I grew up in Idaho. And we'd run around barefoot and we had dandelions in the yard. And it was very common to step on a honeybee and get a honeybee sting in your toe. And that's not pleasant. That wasn't fun, and usually it would swell up, and, and it, would, it wasn't the sting that bothered me. It was two days later when it would start itching for about three days, and you'd go around itching your big toe for three days. But for wasps, I've been stung by a wasp. They light you on fire. And a scorpion sting is going to be similar to that. And you think, well, okay, what's the big deal? Well, the Word of God says that this scorpion sting will last for a solid five months. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. I'm glad that a, that a wasp sting, usually in about five minutes, it starts to subside. I mean, it's intense. Can you imagine that for five solid months? It's so bad that men will want to die, but death will flee from them. God's not going to give people an easy out. They're going to they're going to seek to commit suicide to get out of their suffering. Hey, Doctor Kevorkian can't even help them. Death will flee, and for five months, they will be in this severe, intense pain. Revelation 9, 6, In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And then the sixth trumpet sounds, and the four angels of the Euphrates River are loosed. The Bible says that these four angels are prepared for a day, for a year, a month, and a day, for a specific hour. Now listen, I, I, we all want to know that our life has some kind of purpose. But I'm glad that the purpose of our life isn't, you know, we live for 70 years and the only reason we were here was for one hour of our life, something that we did or something that happened. That would seem like a waste. For however many thousands of years that these creatures have existed, they have been bound in the bottom, not the bottom, but in the earth under the Euphrates River. And when they are loosed, this one hour in the tribulation period was the whole purpose that God created these four angels. They come forth. And they've given power to kill one-third of all the people. That's one-third of whatever's left. There's already a lot of carcasses and a lot of people that have died. They're going to take whatever's left and they're going to kill a third of them. And with them, with these four angels, are going to be 200 million horsemen. And, 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 I, and I have in my notes horsemen quoted because... These horsemen are not going to be men on horses. These are going to be horse creatures that have breastplates of fire. They've got a head like a lion. And they've got fire and smoke and brimstone coming out of their mouth. And not only that, but they have multiple tails. And on the end of these tails are serpents' heads that bite men. Hollywood couldn't come up with this. And by the way, Tom Cruise ain't going to save you. This just goes to show we're not as powerful and almighty as we think we are. We think, well, I'll just will my way through this. I'll just, oh, I can tough it out. Oh, I've got guns. There is nothing. We are defenseless against these creatures. At this point, 
those who have been killed or hurt by the creatures, they refuse to repent. And we've already seen this previously. Revelation 9, verse number 20, the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Watch verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. File these sins away in the back of your mind because I'm going to talk about it here in just a couple moments. In conclusion, in conclusion, we see here that the prerequisite of tribulation salvation is the same as it is in all dispensations. Repentance. It says here that they repented not of all of these things. And this isn't a complete list. This is a characterized list of how people are living. The idolatry. The, I mean, all of these different things. And folks, God says that they had to repent. Repentance does not produce salvation or a pardon. So you can't repent. You can't, listen, we cannot fix ourselves. We can't change ourselves. This isn't something we do. Repentance isn't self-improvement. It's simply a change of mind, a change of heart that's accompanied by a willingness and a desire to change our course. It's something that takes place with the will, with the mind, with the heart, with the emotions. Hey, I'm sinning. I'm committing all of these things. And obviously I look around and I say, God's not happy with people that do these things. He's judging us. This is wicked. I'm wicked. And so the person that repents accepts that and says, God, I've been wrong. You're right. Repentance is a lot just taking God's side against ourselves. And with that change of mind and that change of heart, we we turn, we have a desire. Now that doesn't mean that we, we reform ourselves. Repentance isn't works. It's something that takes place with the will and the heart. We've got to repent. Just like in the tribulation period, the same applies to salvation today. We cannot and will not accept Jesus Christ from the heart until we first repent and acknowledge and accept the fact that we're sinners and that we deserve everything that we've got coming. We just saw there in Revelation 9, verse number 20 through 21, what God thinks of idolatry, what God thinks of murder. I think we can add violence to that equation. We see what God thinks of sorceries. You know what? You won't find a manuscript that that word sorcery isn't the same word as pharmacy. You ever thought about that? Sorceries. You know, we're living in a culture that is saturated with drug abuse. It's sorcery. It bewitches the mind. It bewitches the soul. It gives... You think, you think that it's just chemical addiction, that people get addicted to drugs? No, It releases, there's a euphoria that takes place that connects a person with a world that we don't want to be part of. And it may bring initially some kind of a temporary euphoria or pleasure, but you talk to any drug addict and you find that that euphoria and that pleasure, that as they go more and more into it, you find that it's just simply a burden and addiction. I've got to have it and they never even enjoy it. That's what sorcery is all about. The devil's a very powerful being. And then we see fornication. Boy, are, are we not living in a sex crazed society, folks? Fornication, it, it is just sickening. And you can't get away from it. It's on every screen. It's on your phone. It's on the billboards. It's, you, you go into a public place and you see immodesty and sensuality. I'll tell you what, you go to a store today in the winter time 
And you see things that not too many years ago would have got a woman arrested. Hey, tights are underwear. Christian ladies, cover yourself. People say, well, if you got it, flaunt it. Uh, You know what? You go to Walmart and you think they ain't got it. (laughs) My goodness. Looks like somebody took a pair of black pantyhose and filled them full of doorknobs. I told my wife the other day, we're going into a store and somebody's in front of us that's got tights on. And I said, you know what? They ought to require a license to buy those. You should have to qualify because that person, that, that woman doesn't qualify. <laughs> and then, of course, theft. People are dishonest. They're, you know, these are the things, this is what God thinks of it. And while we've seen that the tribulation period is primary, the primary purpose is Jacob's trouble. God is using it to take Israel behind the woodshed, get them to recognize the fact that they crucified their Messiah. They have been rebellious and stiff-necked and stubborn, and they're going to come to their senses. They're going to recognize it, and they're going to turn to God. But then the rest of the world the wickedness and the sinfulness that God has been so kind and gracious and long-suffering and merciful and just been putting up with all of the wickedness of the human race. Listen, he said as it was in the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, God looked down. He said, I wish I hadn't even, I wish I hadn't even created man. Listen, every parent, every parent has experienced heartache or heartbreak, but I can't imagine, I mean, to, for, for my own children to look at them and go, I wish I'd have never brought them into this world. I hope I never have to have that emotion or that feeling. It's heartbreaking, and God looks down, and, he, and it's getting like that, folks. Thank God there are still some righteous people that love God and fear God, but they're getting fewer and further between. God's just so kind and patient, and He's putting up with us. But folks, His day's coming, and it ain't going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly, and it's going to be suffering, and it's going to be sorrow like this world has never, ever, ever known. Now, today is the time to experience God's mercy. Now is the time that your heart is tender enough to get right with God, you may never, ever get another chance. If you're not saved, don't risk having to suffer these things. If you're not right with God, get right with God. This this wrath and this suffering, this is what God truly thinks of man's sin. It's disgusting in the eyes of a holy God. When we see just how disgusting it is to Him and why He puts up with us, we ought to realize what a loving, gracious God He is. Don't run from Him. Run to Him. You can get saved. You can get right. Right here and right now. Do it before it's too late because that trumpet could sound... And you could get left behind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.